Logic, the place for no holes barred, informative, and entertaining banter. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm in the studio with AJ. What's going on, y'all? Man, it's, you know, good to be back like every week. I've had some great experiences this week. Had some great feedback from you guys. Keep writing back because we're loving everything that you guys have to say. And the fact that we're able to have conversations with people who live all the way across the world is unbelievable. So keep writing in. Um, we love you. I'd like to go ahead and introduce our guest this week. It's an old friend of mine. Um, went from way back in high school. Uh, my man, Anthony. Anthony, what's up? AJ, Chris, what is going on, my friends? It is a pleasure to be here on Dude Logic. And I have to say this right off the bat. I got to go ahead and say, um, very cool podcast. Very glad to be here. Very, uh, very much a fan. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, man, I just want to go ahead and put the disclaimer out there. Uh, This episode is going to be no holes barred, as we say. Uh, Anthony is not going to pull punches, and and that's exactly why we brought him on the show today. So, uh, Chris, you need to go ahead and bring it to the table because it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough one. <laughs> it's going to be a difficult ride, huh? Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to try and keep things as civilized as I possibly can. <laughs> I'm going to try and keep it all above the belt here. That's, that's a lie. I'm actually not, but I'm not. You know, I'm no. Uh, I'm not an outlandish fellow. By uh, by nature, it's just uh, you know, I've been made into that kind of guy. Hey, uh, all, all I know is that you're gonna be authentic. You're gonna give us exactly what is on your mind, and that's all we can ask for at the end of the day. Beautiful. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. I'm looking forward to it. All Excellent. Right. So, has anyone been paying attention to this Winter Olympic stuff? Oh my God the the Sochi. Let me just tell you this. I I have a hard time following the actual Olympics themselves, like the sports. I'm not even that into really. It's only been the Sochi Problems Twitter page that I've been following. Like it's it's <laughs> I've I've been fascinated. There's been this incredible sequence of events, right? All these reporters have shown up to Sochi, Russia for the Winter Olympics for anyone who doesn't have a television or is aware or the internet. Uh and everything has been wrong. Every single thing has been wrong from the start. <laughs> People have been getting to the hotel rooms. There's been, you know, they, you, they have these pictures of the bathrooms. And there's two toilets in the same bathroom with no divider between it. Like, no stalls. Just, there have been, been pictures of <laughs> one toilet with three chairs directly in front of the toilet facing it. Like, an audience kind of watching you use the bathroom. There's been there's been hotels with no lobbies. There was a reporter who opened a door to a hotel. A wild dog came out of it. Wow. A, a wild dog had been living in the hotel room. You know, it's like there's there is some incredible sort of like uh, foul ups in preparation that have uh, occurred in Sochi now. And it's been more interesting to me than the actual Olympics themselves, I have to say. Wow. <laughs> All right. And, and the juxtaposition of recent Olympics that we've had in Sochi, like you're not allowed to make mistakes after you have the Olympics in China and they have the world's greatest opening ceremony with, I don't know how many thousands of people they had at the beginning of that, that, that Olympics. I mean, it was like everything went off without a hitch and then you have this and, and wild dogs are running out of rooms. Yeah. I could see why that's more interesting to you than the actual Olympics themselves. Well, you even uh, think about I mean, the last Winter Olympics. It, it went yeah. off basically without a hitch, and everyone said exactly. that it was a great time there. But man, yeah. uh, you, 
you've been hearing about the Sochi stuff for so long. And, you know, a lot of the athletes who were there were saying, oh, well, maybe by the time the opening ceremonies come, they'll have a lot of this stuff fixed. And it hasn't been fixed at all. Oh, none of it. Uh, no, but what's amazing, though, is uh, I don't know if you guys watched the uh, the hockey game between the U.S. and, and Russia. Yeah, I think it was, you know, this this past week. But it was excellent, man. It came down to a shootout between the U.S. and Russia, and uh, we ended up winning. The U.S. won three to two in the shootout. Go USA! <laughs> um, but you know, it definitely uh, it definitely took back some memories to the the old Miracle on Ice, and it was kind of symbolic, <laughs> considering uh, all of these issues that we're having in Russia. You know, the quote unquote USA sticking it to them. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah. You know, what else did you you guys hear about all the issues that they had beforehand? The protesting about you know human rights for you know the issues that were going on with gay, lesbian, and 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 uh, you know the homosexual population and and the discrimination that was occurring. These like these these kind of things that you like when I hear something like this happening in Russia and the kind of laws they passed, it's. It kind of blows my mind because it's almost it's like they don't understand the very basics of of like what makes human beings human beings like they don't understand simple um you know simple facts about the nature of someone's personality and how it develops from their youth and so it's like when they 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 see homosexuality as this bizarre dysfunction and it's almost as like they it's like they've never even attempted to study it like like Russian scientists are usually they're notoriously good scientists. Like I've always heard that Russians have incredible science. For it's like you would think their psychology, their ability to study human development would be like at least a little bit close. But this this kind of a ban. First off, that you could ever enforce that you could ever enforce preventing homosexuals from being who they are and acting in the way that they're acting. As soon as they close the door, they can do whatever they want. So it's ridiculous right off the bat. And second off, why would you even try? It's utterly senseless. It's 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 uh, it's blows my mind, man. It just absolutely boggles my mind. Right. I recall a few weeks back there was a joke on Saturday Night Live uh, during the weekend update section where they brought on Billie Jean King, and they were talking about how President Obama had assigned her to be a special envoy out to Sochi as sort of a stick it to you type thing to the president. Because of her being openly gay, of course. And so during the skit, Billie Jean King, who was played by Kate McKinnon, was talking about everything that she was going to do to stick it to Russia. <laughs> that sounds like something Billie Jean King would do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. And I think she's actually going to be a part. She was originally supposed to be a part of the opening ceremony, but something occurred. Something happened. She couldn't she couldn't make it. And uh, she's going to be a part of the closing ceremony now. So, I mean, it, it, it's actually happening. So um, I look forward to seeing what, what actually occurs as a result. But, I mean, at the end of the day, man, I've just always lived under the, the assumption that you have to let people live the lives that they want to live, man. Who am I as a human being to tell another human being how they live their life? Right. You know, um, I'm too busy trying to figure out how I'm supposed to fig- you know, move through this, this world on my own. To, to try and tell anybody that the way they choose to live their life is, is wrong or is not the right way. It's, I mean, it's, I just, I have, I have my own struggles to deal with, to be worried about what other people are, are concerned with. I mean, at the end of the day, they're human beings and, and I love them just the same, you know? Right. And it's, it's really that simple. Like, how can you not 
see another human being and see the humanity in them just because they choose to live a different lifestyle or, you know, that word can get you in trouble. I mean, because it's not necessarily even a choice. You know, who am I to say it's a choice? I don't know. So, you know, because they live a different lifestyle than I do, why is it that I have to feel that they're different or wrong or something? You know, just let it go. Let let them live their lives, you know, and, and let me live mine. <laughs> well, I know for me, I mean, the morality on that particular issue is always related to harm for me. Like, how, what what is your to what degree does your lifestyle cause harm to yourself or to anyone else? In the case of some, I mean, so there are certain lifestyles that are obviously harmful that that are unavoidably harmful. Like, if you want to be a serial killer, for example, the lifestyle of a serial killer necessitates that you cause great <laughs> amounts of harm to the people around you, right? right. So that's the kind of lifestyle <laughs> choice that I am happy to judge. I'll be glad to point a finger. I'm not committing philosophical heresy to point a finger at that and say, that's a bad thing, um, you know? But with something like homosexuality, it's like, all right, it's, a, it's two consenting adults deciding together to spend their lives with each other. It's in the spirit of love. There's no, there's no harm whatsoever, you know? Every, everyone who proposes that there's some harm to children raised by homosexual couples have no scientific evidence to back it up and in fact the evidence is the opposite is that there's really no difference whatsoever between uh the way kids turn out based on who raises them whether it's same-sex parents or not and you know suggesting otherwise is 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 ignorance of science but at the end of the day if they're not causing harm who do i what do i care you know right it doesn't bother me at all so, so guys, any discussion of the Olympics wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about the happenings that occur in the Olympic Village. So it's quite famous that this is a place where basically anarchy, uh, sexual anarchy in particular, occurs. Tinder use is yeah. next in the a- Olympic Village. Absolutely. <laughs> it said, says the title of an article I saw recently on Facebook. Apparently a female athlete posted an article about how over-the-top tinder was at the olympic village all right so so ladies and gentlemen are swiping their hearts out and uh you know until their fingers are raw trying to find that sweet special someone if only for an evening if only for an hour if only for a moment i Uh, mean you know let's think about it you know you have world-class athletes at the top of their game in amazing shape who have probably been locked up for months training for this event uh which is so momentary, right? Right. Let's say your your event is done on day three of the Olympics and you're just chilling for the next three weeks, right? What are you doing? <laughs> I might as well go ahead and have a good time for the rest of the time I'm here, right? I mean, dude, you're in a you're in a living situation where every single person of the opposite sex around you is at their peak physical condition. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's beauty every every in every direction. So I mean, yeah, what <clears throat> stamina what? should not be an issue. Oh my God! No, on yeah, either no. side of the coin. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if the earthquake in Georgia was caused from all the banging that's happening <laughs> in Sochi, Russia. At this very moment. Like maybe the time difference too, because you know, there's the tectonic movement, there's the tsunami. That it could have been all related to the Olympic Village just being rocked by the sound <laughs> of muscular bodies smacking against each other. In the most beautiful of ways. Chris, did I not tell you that we needed to go ahead and put our seatbelts on for this one? Hey, the improbable event of everyone thrusting at the exact same time caused that earthquake. It, it caused a shift in the actual earth I, itself. I, mean, I think Australia moved seven inches to the left uh, because of what's going on in Russia right now. It's 
It's literally reshaping the continents. What's reforming Pangea is what the uh, you know all what? hanging in the Olympic Village is doing right now. I like where you're going with that. All of the love that's being expressed in the Olympic Village right now is bringing us back together, not only philosophically, but in actuality, the, con- the continents are coming back together. One people. <laughs> One community, my friends. Yes. Talking about here. So what, what happens if all, if all the continents came back together? Uh, there would be a massive war, <laughs> and all the white people would bomb everyone else. And it would it would end very quickly, and no one would. It would be awful for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. So anyway, moving on. <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's that would be a fascinating. Imagine what would happen if that happened. Yeah. All right. I mean, we there was to a certain extent we'd be forced we'd be forced to deal with all of the differences that we've always been able to kind of displace with the benefit of distance you know yes. every every bit of suffering you see in the middle east and sub-saharan africa and the balkans and all these awful war-torn parts of the world it's not that difficult to put it out of your mind because it's very far away you know literally and kind of metaphysically as well right and so it's i mean yeah it's it yeah, no i mean when you when you talk about some of the issues that that especially africa when i think of issues in the world i think of the african continent a lot and you know, even even from let's just talk about from a public health standpoint, this is something that you can speak on, Chris. Yeah. A lot of the public health issues that are going on in Africa, you put Africa right next to the United States, literally smash it up against us. We can no longer run away from those public health issues because you don't have a ocean, a body of water keeping you separated. Well, those and then the infrastructures too. So there, there's no way those infrastructures can be so vastly different in terms of the deployment of physicians and healthcare professionals to those areas. There's just no way. Yeah. yeah. You guys are, see, this is, Republicans would build a wall in two days. If, 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 they, if they suddenly <laughs> found the U.S. smashed up against Africa, they would put up the tallest, thickest wall Think about how scared they are of Mexican immigrants. Have you seen Zombieland? I have seen Zombieland, actually. Fantastic. Uh, what was no? What was the? the what was, you know, I'm speaking on the wrong movie. What's the movie that came out recently with uh, Brad Pitt? Um, uh, uh, World War Z, I believe. There you go. Yeah, That's, yeah. yeah right. They had that wall of zombies climbing up. Zombie wall. That yeah, would that, be that was that was the Africa. picture that you just painted in my mind with that statement, Anthony. Right. I mean, well, okay. That's ho- that's unfortunate that that's what came into your mind, but I understand. Why that's the case? Uh, <laughs> no, not that I would necessarily see it that way, but that the the response to that would be no. I mean, dude, here's the thing: like, think about think about the reaction that white Republicans have to the possibility of Mexican immigrants or any other Latin immigrants for this from Central America, for that matter. Think Arizona, right? Dude, it's like you you think they were carrying the plague with them, like they were bringing Black Death with them. But right. it's like we, we just want to work, and you know, we want to do like it's. And so couple that and okay, so make them 10 shades darker and give them like a horrible diseases and crushing poverty and then and see how fast that wall gets put up. Dude, it would be trust me, I'm not saying now keep in mind this is all horrible. <laughs> like that would yeah. be a horrible thing to do. Oh, but, yeah. You know, you, you have to think who we're talking about here. So I, I understand but, that you're not you're not advocating for this. You're yeah, just so saying just, that this is this is just a reality of, of the situation this, that you would find us. Over the top hypothetical that would probably actually happen if if this were to go down. I mean yeah. 
I mean, well, I mean, that that takes us into an interesting place, man. Where we you can talk about uh, race relations, and in fact, uh, it kind of leads us into our, our main topic. The main topic. So, uh, what was it? We were talking about the article that I I had posted earlier this week on Facebook. Uh, and Anthony, I believe you actually uh, commented on it and and had something to say. So it was. It was an article by the Atlanta Black Star on atlantablackstar.com that was titled Seven Things Your Colorblind Racist Friend Might Say to You and How to Respond. And essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, Anthony or Chris, it was, a, it was an article about what people who choose to, to, to ignore color are actually perpetuating as far as race relations are concerned. So an example would be the first statement was what they say, uh, what these quote-unquote colorblind racist friends might say. Um, People are just people. I don't see color. We're all just human. Character, not color, is what counts with me. The author responded by saying colorblindness negates the cultural values, norms, expectations, and life experiences of people of color. Even if an individual white person can ignore a person's skin color, society does not. Claiming to be colorblind can also be a defense when someone is afraid to discuss racism, especially if the assumption is that all conversation about race or color is racist. Color consciousness does not equal racism. So that stuck out to me as a a very powerful piece. And, you know, it was interesting that it spoke to you as well, Anthony. and, And it was something that, you know, you ended up saying, Chris, how do you guys feel about that? Well, first off, I'll uh I just want to be I want to pleasurably introduce myself as the first, I believe I'm the first white guest that Dude Logic has had. Is this correct? Is it? Am I have you guys had a white guest on Dude Logic so far? No, we have not. Yeah. No, we you're, have not. you're correct. You're correct. Yeah, you're the first you, you are the first person of Caucasian descent. So this is a celebration right here. Well, this... technically I'm part I'm part Caucasian myself. Anyway. Right. Okay. <laughs> You got some flex in you there. No, I uh, like. Okay, so this is great. So I'm like, I'm the diversity hire for this episode of the podcast. Like, this is this is a, <laughs> this is your tax dollars at work, my friends, uh, making this happen. No, this is great. And here's the thing. Like, first off, let me let me just explain a little bit about why I'm in any way qualified to speak on this at all. Because I'm most people are thinking this is just some random white guy here on the podcast <laughs> saying racially kind of you know innocuous things. So. Basically, I, I grew up, I, I work in the music industry, so I, and I work in Atlanta, so I've had a lot of experience dealing with, um, you know, sort of all, all different walks of life. Musicians are obviously very kind of strange, quirky people. They have gigantic inflated egos, uh, and I've done most of my work in the hip-hop industry in Atlanta here. So a lot of the stuff that I know about, like, my, my, a lot of my recent interactions in the African-American community have been through the lens of, like, rap and hip-hop music and sort of those people. And, and that is obviously like, I'll preface everything I say by saying that that is not black people. Like I think the correlation between that people sort of throw uh, of like, you know, it's, I, I think it's a little bit unfair, but anyway, so I've dealt with them my whole life. I've also was lucky enough to go to a nice private high school and a, and a you know, a middle school when I grew up and I, I met, sort of the other end of the African-American spectrum or just the black spectrum generally, which is educated black men sort of, you know, living decent lives, 
being fathers to their children, all of the stuff that, uh, that everyone else does. And so, and I've met everyone in between, you know, so that's kind of a long way of saying like, I I've spent a lot of time kind of deeply invested in the black community because it's just, I've been surrounded by it my whole life. I've lived in Atlanta most of my life and it's kind of where I've worked and lived. So anyway, all that being said, I really get frustrated when white people play that sort of exceptional, like exceptionally neutral race card where, where they're so okay with everything racial that they, they can't even acknowledge that there are cultural differences among different ethnicities, which is literally the, I think the most fun thing about knowing people from different ethnicities is, is learning about the things that separate them from your own. It's by far the most interesting thing to me. And so it's very frustrating to hear people say like, oh, you know, color is just, it's totally, it's a real, I, I don't even see it. I don't even notice that you're a different thing than I am, that you're a different, because here's the thing, like there's not malice behind that statement. Like it's, it's well-intentioned and what they're saying is true. Color shouldn't matter fundamentally in terms of how you think about someone as a person. But what it does matter for is, you know, determining how cultures interact with each other how particular cultures form certain behaviors, certain ideas about the world. And I, 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 I 100% agree with you on that. You know, um, when you kind of sit back and you, you play this, this role, like it doesn't matter. Color isn't an issue. It's, it's something that, you know, I don't even pay attention to color. You know, you're a human being. Like, yeah, at, at some level, a person's color should never change the way you interact with them or change how you feel about them. Right. But the difference in our color, the difference in our ethnicities should be celebrated. It's not something to ignore. It's something to celebrate. It's what makes humankind amazing is the diversity, is how different we are and how those differences come together to create this rich tapestry of humanity. If I lived in a country where all we had was Americanized food, I would I would I would hate that. Like I, I love that I'm able to eat food from different from different uh, countries, from different places of, of ethnic origin, and that because of, of where they were raised, because of, of the society that they, they lived in, that they created this completely different culture. And, and you know, this, it's, it's, it's like a different art form that I can enjoy, you know, because of the differences that they have, you know, and, and, and it's just, and that's just one small sect of society. You know, um, there's absolutely no part of society in which race doesn't have some effect, but it shouldn't be looked at as a negative effect. It should always be looked as as a as a positive. Anytime that there's diversity or cultural diversity, it's it's a positive and it's a it's a blessing in my in my book. Well, I think a unique perspective is that uh, I did grow up in Atlanta, but I ended up going to school in the, in the north, uh, particularly in Philadelphia, and so you have this college environment where you have a lot of rich Caucasian kids who are there and they're living alongside sort of the impoverished black communities. And what I did see was a lot of the rich white kids, especially the undergraduate students, trying to say, race is not an issue. I respect you as a person. But the thing is, when they interact with people in that way, it, it automatically turns those people off. And so when you have someone, uh, and actually I have an anecdote about this, there was an undergraduate student that I worked with in a laboratory 
And we ended up going to West Philadelphia, deep into West Philadelphia, where the, the population is about 98% black. And we were interacting with some kids at a, at a um, Saturday school program. And we were both instructors. The person actually addressed the issue of race outright to begin the class. Say, hey, I know that I'm a, a rich looking white guy, but I'm here to teach you all about science. And that right there caught the kid's attention. And for the rest of that class period, they didn't treat him differently. Whereas anyone else who would have come in there and didn't address that issue at, at first would have been disrespected. They wouldn't have listened to them the entire period. And they probably wouldn't have learned anything and they probably would have wasted a Saturday. And so that's a perfect example of the fact that addressing the issue and celebrating those differences can lead to positive results. That's great. And I, I, I think that's particularly important when kids are younger too. Like it's, that's the benefit I feel like of, I mean, like I, I love when white kids grow up around other black kids and when black kids grow up around white kids, because I feel like to a certain, like, I feel like it helps both, both of them out because it demystifies to a certain extent, a lot of the things that I think blacks think about whites and vice versa. I kind of feel like, I feel like that's one of the most important ways to get people into that mode of thinking of thinking like, okay, well, I mean, you know, these, I mean, like for a lot of, I know a lot of, I grew up with a lot of black kids who their only interaction with white people was like, uh, you know, my, my mom's boss was a white guy and then like fired her two weeks before Christmas. And it's like, when you grow up and that's what you hear and what you know about white people, it's like, how could you not think they're despicable? Like, how could you not think that, but if you're not exposed to, to the sort of the swath of, you know, of people out there that exist, it's it's going to be hard for you to, you know, parse through what was just like, oh, you know, this bad memory from childhood or this bad experience. Even if you had a bad experience directly with white people, it's like that's going to sour you directly on 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 that culture to a certain extent until you have experiences that, you know, are, are more in line with what you're used to. And that's that's why I think getting them to together early on is I mean, is the of the utmost importance. I think one thing that I've noticed in conversations and just general interactions with people of all races is that most people who aren't black, their perceptions of what black people are actually shaped by the mass media. And so what you have is a lot of people who get their information about the statistics about black men in jail and black on black crime from mass media sources. A lot of those sources can be admittedly biased. And a fair number of people I've met haven't even sat down to really talk to black people. And so you have this perception that's being shaped by a, an institution that's controlled by majority people. Yeah. And so what you don't see, you know, you see all the negative things that are associated with the black community, but you don't see the positive things. You don't see in the mass media, you don't see the programs that are being that are being put forth in the black community. You don't see the people who have made it out of the hood, who are going back to the hood and who are contributing to that community by developing programs and, and community centers and, and different things for kids to try to lead them along the path that they've actually forged. It's really frustrating at times because I tend to participate on things such as Reddit a lot 
And specifically, like around the Trayvon Martin situation, there were a lot of feeds that were out there. And, you know, I was trying to set the record straight because a lot of people were saying, oh, man, the black community isn't doing anything that's worthwhile. And I pointed out specific examples of nonprofits and and even, you know, various various superstars who have made it out of the ghetto and who have come back into the ghetto and who have developed programs for kids who have who have provided positive examples for them and i was being lambasted i was definitely being cornered and so you know, I, I just hope that people will take the time to further research things rather than trusting the mass media for their source of information what were what were people i kind of what kind of stuff were people saying to you how could you lambast somebody for just presenting kind of facts. A of facts and you know institutions who are doing positive things what well, i mean let's be honest anthony that's not something that's new like you know oftentimes people who are in power who don't want to hear what you have to say who who and this isn't just on the issue of race this is anything i mean you can look at politics and see that if you're in a position of power and you don't agree with something you know facts facts that are being presented to you not not opinions facts numbers figures that are being presented to you and you don't agree with them you can just pretend like they don't exist well you could just say that they aren't being publicized but the reason that they aren't being publicized is because it doesn't appeal to the masses so think about it media is an entertainment industry and if it's something that's not entertaining i.e something that's being done positively for the black community what will sell more seeing that there's black on black crime every day or seeing that someone loving hip hop Atlanta, yeah, yeah. Or seeing you know this ratchetness that's out there, yeah. or seeing that there's a person who worked hard, who went to school for twelve years, let's say, and who's developed this this industry, and they've been able to come back into the community and impact the lives of let's say five young kids. Now that may not seem like a lot, but to those five kids, it's everything. Yeah. Right. I mean, it will, like you know what? Like I've I've had a lot of conversations this week about the power of the internet, right? Um, and you know, part of what we do with this podcast is that we're able to reach people in every every corner of the world that we might never actually travel to, but because of the power of the internet, we're able to have a voice everywhere. Well, that you know, when you think about things going viral, and and how easily things can go viral in this in this. What if one of those kids, one of those five kids, latches onto a forum like this, where they now have the ability to speak to, to children all over the world? Now, that one act that you did with one of those five kids is now affecting millions of children around the world who have the ability to listen to, to a voice from anywhere as long as they have power to do so. But AJ, what you do have to admit is that dude logic doesn't have the same power to affect people as something like Sharkisha. Oh, no, no. I'm, I agree with you. If you were to present more positive interactions, positive uh, affectations that are happening in society, then it would have the same power as these negative images that are being pushed. But... The negativity is what is being is is what is seen most in 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 the media. So you're right on that. That if we continue to to push these negative images, that's what people are going to continue to see. It's um, obviously being perpetuated by the black community as well. Because I mean, you even think about our popular media sources. 
What's mm-hmm. the first thing someone says when they see something that is spectacular? Wait, wait, hold up, Chris. Don't answer this. Uh, Anthony, do you know the answer to that? Uh, that would be World Star Hip Hop. Yep. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Of course. Yes. Literally, literally one of the first websites I check every morning when I get up, <laughs> I get up my computer is World Star Hip Hop. <laughs> because I want to see black people and Puerto Ricans fighting each other in back alleys. <laughs> And that's that's terrible. It's awful. No, I'm just kidding. It, 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 that's literally what they show. I mean, it's it's yeah. And, it's ridiculous. And well, this is the thing. Let me go ahead and put that out there uh, for anybody who doesn't know. Anthony is an extremely sarcastic person, but right. he uses the sarcasm to to illustrate the point. I mean, this is exactly what people are going on this website to do. I, it's nothing but people of color belittling each other beating each other physically like it's, literally beating it, each other people going to watch minorities beat each other it's, yeah. it's literally the one of the worst i mean it's one of the worst sites on on the internet and there's more traffic on that internet site than just about every other site <laughs> in right. the internet um i mean it's gotten to the point that when you see something in the streets that is you know quote-unquote ratchet or I, I you know is is you know, I, I'm struggling to find the word for it, but if you see something on on the street that, that gets out of hand, you know, you see somebody get into a fight on the street, if they're people of color, you will literally hear people yelling world star in yep. the background. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's like the, it's like the, it's like what Baba Booey used to be for white people. That's, uh. now, that's, that's world star is that for black people now. It's, it's just what you yell during something interesting. Yeah. Uh. I mean, or or when you see something like that that happens, and the first thing that goes through your mind is that's going to be on World Star later today. <laughs> right. Five minutes from now, it'll be posted on World Star. And your intention is to go and look at it. Yeah. And it's sad, you know. It's but. I mean, and it's it's like Anthony spoke to before, and and you know he he kind of spoke on our on our history is that we went to a school here in in Atlanta. Uh, private school that was pretty well to do and we were we were exposed to things that a lot of people don't have the ability to see when they're younger um one of which is of 15 black kids at the school go ahead (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and well we had 21 in our graduating class was it really only 21 i was god i was hoping it was a higher number than yeah no wait wait no 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 actually 20 27 i was incorrect right i was incorrect it was 27 um but yeah you know uh 27 out of a class of 243. My favorite thing about that was how you guys almost by sort of just by de facto, you always sat at the same table in the cafeteria. It was just, and it wasn't for any other reason than it was, you were the only ones in the whole grade. So you just felt like you had to sit there to be like, all right, good God. Like we need to have some normal conversation here away from all these ridiculous white people <laughs> who are surrounding us at every no, waking hour of our lives. There's, there's actually a, a book that you should read uh, written by Beverly Tatum. Um, I don't want to misquote the, the title of the book, Christy. Like we read it when we were freshmen at Morehouse. Uh, Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Thank you very much. For anybody that's out there that's listening, you need to read this. It's an excellent read. And it speaks exactly to that point, uh, Anthony. Like, why is it that we, as black students, felt the need to sit with each other? Right. Um, in the lunchroom. And, it, and, and, and really, like... In some ways, yeah, it was it was a reprieve from of having to be the token in every other situation oh God, throughout right. the day. You know, it, it 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 and it's it's a reality. Like when you, when I was in a class, especially being in in you know gifted classrooms where I was in honors or AP classrooms, 
um, where I might be one or one of two in a class. Uh, and this is something that you'll hear a lot of uh, a lot of black people who have have, have had some success within the classroom talk about um, having to feel the need to to be the defense of all black people or when anything comes up with race, you're the first person that everybody looks at. Right. And right. you're expected to have answers for them. And, and people don't understand that, you know, you're not able to speak for everybody in your race just because you're a part of that race, which is no different than you. You can't speak for every Caucasian person on the planet. Right. Right. I'm here as the white representative, but I, I clearly don't speak for uh, for for whites at large. But know? no one and no one would ever expect you to right. have to do that. But even though this is your podcast, I expect both of you guys to represent the black community completely <laughs> <laughs> Only because it's what I've been trained to do my whole life. <laughs> But also, she has another book, and I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, it was in 2000. It's called Assimilation Blues, Black Families I, in a White Community. I did hear about that. I did. I have not read it yet. Those are two books I would definitely suggest that people, especially if, let's say, they are somewhat affluent or maybe even middle class, and they are Black people who have moved into a majority white community. Those are some of the issues that kids will encounter. And so you, you have to be cognizant of that because a lot of times, especially, you know, kids in general won't tell their parents everything. Well, what was some of the issues that they spoke to, Chris? Since I, I haven't read it and, uh, and I don't know if Anthony's read it. No, but I will say real quick. Can I just say uh, white people should probably check that shit out, too? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you need to read that just as much as the black kids do, for sure. Anyway, Chris, proceed, sir. That's true. So, you know, it's it's talking about issues that both kids and their parents experience. And so a lot of times it's the cultural differences of having children and being in a neighborhood that's mostly affluent. So you have the parents that have to put on a facade, so to speak, of getting their kids involved in activities that maybe they have no idea about. Like, I don't think you and I really know that much about yachting or about crew or something like that but the thing is there's been generational participation in these types of events in some of these families and so you have to put on a facade so to speak as a parent to try to get your kids involved in something that they may not necessarily want to be involved in and then for the kids it's about being isolated in their environments because a lot of times maybe the white kids won't necessarily bring the black kids in on everything that's being done and if you're one of the few black kids, then your interactions with the other black kids may actually be a little strained because you're trying to assimilate into this environment. But you feel that if you get together with the other black people in the environment, then you're the token. And then in terms of the family in general, both the parents and the kids living in a community where they don't see people that are like them, they don't have influences that are necessarily looking like them they have to be able to plug into some type of community where people can understand their culture where do they get that outlet well it's interesting man uh for me when i was younger chris it was it was athletics okay it was you know being that i was at at this this quote-unquote prestigious private school that was majority white and that was the environment that i was i was being raised in on a daily basis as far as my education and, and you know, uh, was concerned, 
my parents saw that it was necessary to have a balance so that I could stay grounded within my community. So that's why I ended up playing baseball at, you know, with CYO, Cascade Youth Organization at Adams Park. And, and you know, why they kept me ingrained in my, my community. Let's, let's talk about socioeconomics, like what, to see what it meant to be affluent, to have the, to, to know what money, what doors money can open for you. But to also be grounded in what it means to, to, to remain in a community of people who don't necessarily have those advantages. Right. So I was able to really understand and appreciate what I had in the education that I was was garnering and in the, the opportunities that I was given because I was able to realize that not everyone has those opportunities. So, AJ, let me ask you this. Growing up as a black kid who lived in a black neighborhood but who went to a private school – did you feel pressure to not be the token black person at the school? Of course. Of course. I mean, and, and, and I had pressure on both sides of the track. When I was at school, it was how do I not be, how am I not going to be the black kid that everybody looks to as being the black kid? How am I, not, how do I blend in and not be so black? Right. But then when it was, when I was around you guys, when I was around people in my neighborhood is, how do I blend in and become more black? How do I not be the white boy? You know, oh, you speak too well. Like, you, you, know, you talk like white people. What are you doing? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry that I learned what loquacious meant today and I wanted to use it in conversation. I didn't know that I was going to be judged for doing that. And the guy's like, stop talking about my sister, you son of a bitch. Exactly. And, That's exactly and, what no, I was but these were things. These were things that I went through when I was around my black friends. I was too white. When I was around white people, I'm too black. And you find yourself trying to figure out how to navigate through this arena. And I call myself a social chameleon, even to this day. No matter what situation you put me in, I will find a way to relate to people because of what I went through as a child. You know, I got to a place where I said, everyone has something about them that's human, that's humane. We all share more than we have in differences. So let me figure out what it is that makes me similar to you. And talk about that rather than allowing you to focus on the differences between us. And it served me very well, even until this point in my life. Like I have no problem meeting and creating relationships with new people because it's always about focusing on what makes us similar rather than what like what makes us different. You know, because I got tired of people trying to put me in a box. I got tired of people trying to say you're different for this reason. Well, you tell me I'm different and then I counter with why we're the same. That's that's kind of what my upbringing did for me, man. You know. All right. So, Anthony, let me ask you a question then. Yeah. When AJ said that people would say to him, "Why do you sound white?" What do you think of that? That notion that speaking correct English makes you sound white. Right. So this goes back to kind of the age old sort of thing. It's like, oh, can you can you hear a guy talk on the phone and tell whether he's black or not? Or can you tell the ethnicity of somebody by by their voice? Um, you know, I obviously the thing is, is what we were talking about earlier. I mean, every every culture kind of has their own hallmarks, you know, and so if you spend enough time around like in, for example, even within the black community, like I have I have a lot of black friends up north. And when I talk to them about my friends, my black friends down here in the South, they're just like, dude, I don't know what any of them are saying. 
Like, I can't understand what they're saying in the South. Like, I, it sounds like nonsense, you know? And, and so it's like, it's not like, uh, it's not like everyone sort of has this, this, uh, distinct voice that, that, you know, immediately separates them into one culture or another, but you can tell when you're talking on the phone with somebody, it, it's more for me about, it's not even really about sort of the, the way they phrase their words. It's more just about intonation. It's just about the tone. Like, I do feel like I can sort of, I can at least ha- sort of hazard an educated guess when I'm talking to someone on the phone, whether or not they're black or white. Um, I, I would never, I mean, when I hear someone speaking kind of in an, any sort of an ignorant way, my first assumption is that they're just, is that they're ignorant. And then kind of whether they're black or white is usually, is usually secondary to that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I see what you're saying. It's true. There is this whole, this whole thing where like, you know, black guys have like the classic, like, Def Jam white guy impression where they're just like, oh, hey, I'm a white guy. How's it going? And then like and then white guys usually have like super racist black guy impressions like, yo, man, that's what I'm talking about, son. Like it's always like, you know, so the over the top kind of like cliche voices like sure, you you can usually tell when who's who. But there's always exceptions. I mean, I know plenty of black guys who are like, well, uh, you know, I'm African-American. I grew up in uh, Niagara Falls like it's. It's you know it's whatever it's kind of a crapshoot at the end of the day like <laughs> you're you're guessing and whether your guess is wrong or right it's still kind of mildly racist and so you you just have to sort of be comfortable with knowing that about yourself you know that uh, that uh, you can occasionally guess right and when you're right you're like yes I'm right but damn that's weird like is that a weird thing that I'm right and then when you're wrong you're like wow that was bad I feel like shit now that <laughs> now I feel even more racist so it's uh you know. I mean, to speak, you know what? I want to ask this question to you, Anthony. Being that you're a white man, it's you find yourself in an industry like you you spoke on. You're surrounded by black people, right? Right. Did you ever feel the need to have to exert yourself or or show them something different about you because they they paint you in a box for being white? Well, that's what? worked in a bunch of different ways for me. Okay, so to for to a certain extent, what I've discovered about musicians in general particularly like the rappers i work with and stuff is and this is something i noticed i mean largely about black men in general they take the notion of manhood very seriously like like manhood is is a very important thing in the african-american community i mean sort of traditional definitions of what a man is i feel like you, you seldom find them more present than you do in the black community so men are supposed to be providers they're supposed to be protectors they're supposed to be tough they're supposed to be you know, they demand respect at every at every possible angle. This is kind of this is sort of the approach that a lot of the the rappers I deal with take. I mean, they they come in and they they and now that's one assumption they have. They when they see that I'm white and I'm definitely for anyone who doesn't know me. I mean, I'm I'm like six foot five, like super skinny, super lanky white dude, like very non-threatening. I mean, like one of the most non-threatening looking dudes imaginable. And I I you know I'm not a tough guy or whatever. I'm not. That's not my it's not my vibe. So, I mean, uh, people definitely have an inclination to kind of step up to me and buck up and assume that I'm just like some feeble dude. But at the end of the day, like I, I know I've had enough black friends in my life that I can, I just sort of start making fun of them about the silly stuff that they're doing. Like as rappers, like I'll just talk to them about the silly fashion and like how, how absurd their lyrics are and how much they overemphasize their money, even when they're the brokest human beings I meet in my day to day life. You know, like it's, that's the fun stuff about that. Now that's the one perception I get is I have black dudes who come up to me and they they sort of test me. They're like, yeah, man, what what happens if we just take this mix right now and don't pay you shit, you know? And then I have to sort of pull out my my sort of my wit and my 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 leverage as in what I do as an engineer is that well, 
I still have possession of your music, buddy. Like you can take that mix right now, but then I'm going to put out a remix of your song with all of my vocal tuning taken off and all of your edits not done right. So you sound like a clown and the world knows how much of a clown you sound like. And I mean, a simple explanation like that is usually enough for guys to be like, damn, okay, well, uh, here's your money then, (laughs) you know? So it's about just, it's about not cowering at someone, at someone talking to you. Now the converse of that, which I, which is that I have gotten gigs before from black clients specifically because I'm white. This is another aspect of, of what I do that I've always found very strange. I've, I've, I've talked to clients on the phone for a while, back and forth. We'll, we'll, we'll book some time to get together so I can talk to them about their music and what they're doing. They'll meet up with me. They'll see that I'm white, and immediately it's like a glimmer a glimmer shines in their eye for some reason. And they're just like, oh, dude, we're going with this guy. We're going with the – and I'm like, but you, I don't, you don't know anything about me. You've never heard my stuff. They're like, dude – I've had three black dudes mix my last two records. I can't, they're, they're just not doing it. And I'm like, damn, what do you mean? Like, that's what a ridiculous thing to say. He's like, bro, they're just, they're being lazy. They're not, they're not sending me what I need. They don't know how to do files, this and that. They're like, we just need to go. And so I've had that happen to me more times than I'm even comfortable acknowledging, uh, which is, which is a huge issue to me, man. It's a, it's a very strange problem. You know, but yeah, so those are the interactions I have with, uh, with my, my, don't you love how concise my answers are and how just I stick to one point and never jump around and talk <laughs> nonsense. You're going to have to do edit the shit out of this thing. <laughs> well, I think it, the, the specific instance that you were talking about there is the closest that it gets to reverse racism because that demonstrates some sort of institutional quality. And some sort of systemic thing that's going on within the race where they're recognizing that people who are professionals and people who do things the way that they want them to do it are not their own color. Right. See, and that's something that is certainly, I mean, and to me, I'm always a very analytical kind of rational minded person. So my thinking is the guy probably just had his last three mixes done by three people who didn't know what they were doing yeah, and it just, just happened to be black. You know? Terrible audio engineers. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were black. They just weren't good at their job. This city is saturated with more lousy engineers than I can even name. A, it's, it's a list taller than I am. And, and so my thinking is like, yeah, the guy probably just got screwed a bunch of times by random audio engineers who happened to be black. And even though he's black himself, it's not, you know, it's tough to draw these lines of causality and, and, but people who, if you don't think about it too much, it's easy to say, well, I mean, hell, these three black guys screwed me over. This white guy might not, you know, at least he's more likely not to than what I've experienced before. Let's do that. But you're absolutely right. It could very well be that he's sort of, he's under this impression that, oh, oh, you know, because he's white, inherently he's more professional and inherently that, you know, that carries a certain level of carte blanche that, that maybe a black guy, uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily have, which is first off wrong because the Atlanta music industry is run by blacks and <laughs> rightfully so, I think. And uh, and second off, there's plenty of qualified black audio engineers. There's a ton of them that destroy me in every conceivable way, but this guy just didn't find them, you know. And and and, but who knows, man? It's 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 a tough to say. It's it's interesting to see people draw those types of uh, of correlations from. You know, and when you think hey, I got I got to allude to to Chris being a scientist and he's always about the study and, and making sure that the data is 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 correct. And, you know, that's such a small group of people right. to use uh, three people 
and that's you're you're able to make a you're, you're drawing a correlation from three people right um it's a little it's a little premature you may want to check your sample size there guy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly very underpowered <laughs> right no so, i'm the same way I'm a, I'm a fanatic about science i love reading journals and stuff like that and i will i will always go to to science to solve to to investigate problems like this you know but this is one of those weird things it's a weird cultural trope that you know you have to go to social science for this kind of stuff this is a this is an issue of sociology and philosophy you know right uh, and economics, quite frankly. Yeah, but, which is, is not always as in, empirical as, uh, you know, your chemistry and your, your biology. Right. Uh, right. So it's, it's tough. I mean, it, there's definitely some, some layers of interpretation when you have studies that, that deal with sociology psycholo- psych, uh, and psychology. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because it's so hard to put your finger on it, but you see the apparent results. You see what happens. You see the effects of how people feel on a daily basis, but you can't put your finger on why they feel the way they do, you know? Right. This actually alludes to the second point in the article that you were mentioning. Yes. And I'm just going to bring it up. Go ahead. It says reverse racism. What they say, blacks cry racism for everything, even though they are more or just as racist as white people. And so one of the responses is let's first define racism with this formula. Racism equals racial prejudice plus systemic institutional power. So people of color, to say that they are racist, it denies the power imbalance inherent in racism. And that although some black people dislike whites and act on that prejudice to insult or hurt them, that's not the same as systematically oppressing them and negatively affecting every aspect of their lives. And so one one anecdote that I like to tell everyone in relation to this is something that I personally experienced when I was in school. And this is when I had to do phlebotomies in the clinic. So I had to go in, of course, take blood from people. And being in Philadelphia, a city that's primarily urban and primarily black, I'll say that, a lot of the patients that were there were black patients. When I would go in to try to gather blood for them, um, for clinical assays, they would specifically deny me for the white person. And so this is something where it actually is reverse racism. So a lot of people say that maybe blacks hating whites or or blacks talking ill of whites is reverse racism. But the actual reverse racism comes when blacks systemically oppress other blacks based on their feelings about those blacks. So in this case, they felt that because I was black, I wasn't well qualified to take their blood. So they specifically wanted a white person to do it. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that, what you just described is the perfect example of hegemony or hegemony, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But when you oppress a people for so long that they begin to oppress themselves. Exactly. And it's, it's I mean, it, you see it every day. I mean, there are studies that have been done where, you know, like one of the ones that have it's been going around the, the, the Internet recently where there was a study that was done with young black children where they put a black and a white doll in front of the children. And they started to ask questions like which of the two dolls is the nice doll? Which of the uh, two dolls? Seen that study. It's so sad to watch. And, and, and time after time after time, these young black children are assessing positive qualities to the white doll and negative qualities to the black doll. And then they're asked at the end, 
which doll looks most like you? And they all said the black doll. Well, you've basically shown that these children, they, they see themselves, they identify themselves with negativity before they're even old enough to realize how they've been affected by that. Right. And it's so sad. It, it, it's, it's so sad to have, have been systematically targeted for so long that you don't even realize that you've begun to target yourself. And that, that's exactly what you just described. And to, to deny that, that, that this occurs, it's just a slap in the face. And, uh, and I don't know what to attribute it to. It's, I, I, I'm nervous about the phrase reverse racism. I always feel like that phrase is kind of a cop out because it's racism is racism to a certain extent. Uh, but, but you're right. I've never been able to explain that aspect of it. Like why certain blacks are hesitant to let other blacks do work like that for them. Maybe it's past experience, their history. Maybe it's a, a particular prejudice they have on this one particular thing. I couldn't tell you. And this is something that's difficult for me as well, because, you know, and this is another uh, issue that I definitely want to speak on is within the black community itself, there's an issue of color prejudice. Uh, I'm, wait, let me guess what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. The, 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 the debate that and sort of the fighting that goes on between dark skin and light skin blacks. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, it's I mean, it's, it's something that it, it exists. And you yeah. know, because I'm a, a black person of a lighter complexion, you know, people do treat me differently. But then, at the same token, people don't treat me any differently than they do. You know, when I'm when I'm engaging with white people, I've been, I've had people call me a nigger to my face more times than I would like to count. But there are others who would believe that because I'm not a black person of of, of a darker complexion, that I have not had to deal with these issues. Well. Reality is racism still exists. Racism is still very prevalent and powerful. And, you know, I've had to deal with issues that I, I wish that I didn't have to deal with. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm blessed to live in a society where we have come a long way. You know, from what my father and my grandfather and my grandparents, my, my mother and my, my, my grandmother had to deal with, my great grandparents had to deal with, you know, um, my father is a, is a, like I, you know, I've spoken on it before, but, you know, he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia as a black man and has gone through things that I never want to see in my lifetime. And people are so, like, people seem to be so far removed from it and don't realize it was only one generation ago. Like, the healing might have begun, but it's not done by, by any means. And... You know, it's always interesting to me when when white people will come to me and say, AJ, you know, it can't be that bad for you. I mean, look at you like I'm darker than you when I get a tan. Like, let's be let's be real. Well, it doesn't say black on your your ID. Same as, as light skinned black people. <laughs> yeah. Like it's I mean, it's it, it just it's unfathomable to me that someone would be able, would be willing to, would feel comfortable enough to make that statement. Um, I mean, you know, speak to it, Anthony. Like you, you have a perspective that we we don't have. You see the world through a different lens than we do. Um, are we crazy? Are we being overly sensitive? What, like, what, what's your feeling on that? Oh, I mean, dude, I, you know, first off, like, I don't know, I've, I don't think I've, and this is what's crazy. I so I work in the music industry and I, I get to meet a lot of young, a lot of young black people, a lot of young rappers and stuff like that. I've met 16, 17 year old black kids 
even recently, and I have, I swear to God, I've never met a black person in my life who has not been called the N word at some point in like literally in public, sometimes in, just in public. I've had friends of mine who will get, who have gotten it screamed at them in public by just people driving by in cars. It's like, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. I don't, I don't even, I'll never claim to be able to even put myself in that headspace because it's just not, it's not something that I'm, that I could be familiar with. I, I've never had to live in that world. So it's one of those things that like, you know, I, one thing you hear a lot in the white community, and it's true, unfortunately, you do hear a lot of people who say, like, you know, these blacks just keep trying and trying to, you know, soon they're going to be able to get all the rights and we're going to be the ones who are left in the dust, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, are you out of your fucking minds? Like, I don't, I mean, forgive me for using that language, but it's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's like, no. there's no, there's no comparison. And I think what you just said, uh, the last thing you said about the fact that it's only been a generation removed is something I think that's particularly important because I, there's a lot of frust, there's a lot of people in the white community, a lot of whites who I detect a f- degree of frustration whenever they hear blacks talk about how you know, hey man, it's only been one generation, things are still rough. There's a lot of white people, and I swore most of them will never admit it, but there's a lot of them who think, "Come on now, guys, it's it's about time to stop blaming white people for all your problems." You know, haul yourself up by your bootstraps and start elevating your community. And they always pull off these. They'll talk about how, you know, yeah, most of the crime is black on black crime. It's mostly blacks killing blacks, which, of course, is a huge problem that actually exists. But it's like they use all these things to try and skirt the major issue, which is like just imagine having your entire culture ripped like African-Americans don't have a history that goes back beyond 250 years. Like you, you, you just can't trace it. Like it's, it's impossible. I mean, most, any, anyone who has lineage that was brought here on a ship, it's almost impossible to know anything about who you were from that era. You know, like I've never traced my lineage back that far, but I could probably do it back to the crusades. I could probably go back to, you know, the year 900 AD. I don't know a lot of African-Americans who can do that. And to think that you have your whole cultural history sort of stolen from you and you're, you're, you're kind of implanted in this whole new world, never allowed to even thrive, even to begin to thrive until, I mean, realistically, what, the late 60s, early 70s? Like, you, you don't you didn't want to be a black man in America until the mid-1960s, I'll put it that way. And even then, you had to be up north and you were lucky. Like, white people who would claim to even mildly understand that are out of their fucking minds. That's just all there is to it, man. Like, it's... So no, I don't think you guys are being crazy. I don't think you guys are being oversensitive. It's we're not crazy, you know. The the civil rights movement happened just a generation ago. Oh no, and we're still we're still we're still fighting for our rights. But my my earnest hope and prayer is that before my lifetime ends, that we see legitimate healing and peace that comes out of this struggle. Like you know, when you talk about the civil rights movement, you talk about Dr. King and the, and the dream that he had. Um, well, we're not quite there yet. You know, we have, we have some distance to go. So how do we foster understanding and compassion between people who, you know, seem to be separated by, by oceans because of this issue of race? So guys, if you don't mind, I'd like to share one final anecdote with you. Okay. And and this has to do with dude logic specifically. Dude logic. (laughs) (laughs) So... Basically, this has to do with the fact that when I'm on the show, I may speak a certain way versus when I speak professionally or when I speak to my friends in general. 
So what you're telling me you're in your hood mode right now? Is that what you're saying? This might be the most hood that I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say this. Uh from from yeah, I'm gonna take this this opportunity, you know, being that I've known you the majority of my life. Is this as hood as he can get, AJ? This, Tell me what's going is, on right now. This is close. Is he throwing it down right now? This is close. He can he can step it up a little bit. You put right. him in the right situation and it comes out. Like it it he has to be pushed beyond his limits for it to really come out. There <laughs> Southwest Atlanta still exists inside of Chris. See that? <laughs> but this is this is as close as it gets for the most part. <laughs> okay, so back to the story. Anyway, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> me, on the other hand, the, the MLK will come out in a heartbeat if I have to let it. You know, if I have to let it out. SWATs, West Side Atlanta, y'all already know. <laughs> so I think this incorporates a lot of the race thing in terms of sounding white, but it also incorporates the thing that Anthony you alluded to, which was the North South difference. Right, and. So when a lot of my friends who are up here with me listen to the podcast, they say, wow, you actually sound like a Southern guy. But when I talk to them, I don't sound that way. And so it's like, it's your environment. And AJ, you mentioned being a social chameleon. You're from the South. A lot of the guests that we have on the show are from the South. And Mm -hmm. so in order to feel more comfortable in that environment, I change the way that I talk so that it reflects more of my Southern roots. Yeah. Whereas I'm here and I'm in an environment where people talk in a different way. And so I modify my speech to actually mirror that. And if you're anything like me, it's not even something that I'm conscious about anymore. It's almost like I I want people to feel as comfortable as they possibly can around me. So I like to say people when they, they ask, you know, what do you mean by being a social chameleon? Well, uh, you can put me in the middle of Southwest Atlanta on Cascade Road on old school Bankhead Simpson Road before it was Gene Charles Young, and I'm cool and I'm fine and I have no problem speaking to those people and, and and meeting them, reaching them where they are. Like you have to be able to reach people where they are and communicate with people on a level that they understand. But you put me in any boardroom in America and I'm able to speak and 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 speak intelligible and in a manner that that lifts me up in that environment. Um, you know, it, it really just doesn't matter where you put me. I mean, it's the same thing, like you said, we're speaking about North and South. My mother's from Brooklyn, New York. My dad is from Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm around my friends from Atlanta and I sound different than when I'm around my family from New York. You know, I start saying talk and coffee and things like that. And it's like, I don't even know why I'm saying that, but it happens and it comes out. And, and that's the thing is you, you get to a place where, you know, you really just don't want to be seen as being different. Right. And it's easier to assimilate than it is to stand out as an outlier in this society. So Chris, if you feel more comfortable, I, uh, I was born in Rochester and I, I migrated <laughs> down to Atlanta. So I'm, I'm kind of in, a, in the opposite boat of you. I started up north and then came to the south. Okay. I mean, honestly, man, I just want to go ahead and say I really appreciate the perspective that you're bringing to this conversation, man, and, and that you're being so open and honest about it. Because, you know, this this is something that that's close to home for me, because if race relations are ever going to become something that, that becomes better, it's going to take open and honest conversation. It's going to take people being willing to sit and, and talk to each other and not take offense to the things that are being said, you know, and, and to say that, you know, this is an opportunity for us to grow and, and, and move forward 
from the tragedy that is racism. Uh, and I would be remiss if we didn't speak about, you know, something that is, is prevalent in, in the news right now. Uh, when talking about the case that just happened in Florida with Jordan Davis, um, another young man who was the, it was, the story goes that he was, he was shot and killed by a, an older white gentleman. I think he was 47 years old. Um, and the gentleman had a dispute with, with Jordan and his friends who were apparently listening to loud music and he did not appreciate it, asked them to turn it down. They didn't turn it down and his response was to shoot uh, at the car and he ended up hitting Jordan and killing him. Uh, the, the, the verdict came down and he was, he was the verdict came down in, in the trial and he was uh, convicted of four counts of, I believe it was attempted murder and did not get convicted on the first count, which was uh, murder in the first degree. And there was a huge uproar that is, has occurred from that, you know, even though he will more than likely spend the rest of his living days in jail, people were offended on the, the principle of it that he could be convicted of attempted murder on four counts, but he actually killed someone and somehow was not convicted. And, and one of the things that I want to see from this is how do, how do we as a community have a discussion about this, grow from it, and and come to some sort of 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 understanding that that furthers compassion moving forward, so that things like this don't happen in the future, and that so that people aren't necessarily as hurt as a result of what happened. So before we get serious about this, I do okay. want to note that this was in Florida. And I know, AJ, you and I have had conversations about this a lot, that yeah. Florida is just an ass-backward state. Yeah. Oh, do you tell me you guys both feel this way? Okay, can I get something off my chest here? Let me, let me please, just say, please do. let me just say, I, like, I really do feel like if you, if you somehow draw sort of the genealogy of and trace back the origins of every bad thing that's ever happened in this country, everything from, like, me stubbing my toe when I was 11 to, like, JFK's assassination— I think it all somehow originated in Florida. I think, <laughs> I think almost all of the awful things that happen on the continental U.S. at any given moment started in Florida. Somehow. So you're saying it didn't just start with the uh, miscalculation of votes uh, in, dude, it's, in a certain voting precinct. That, I mean, that state, here's the thing about Florida. Like, I love a lot of the people I know from Florida. My Floridian friends are beautiful people, and, and, and they're all wonderful. But I would take all of them out and I would firebomb the entire state. <laughs> I, would, I would go, it, I would, it would be like Vietnam. I would just take napalm and I would just liquefy everything that is above the sea level in Florida. Because does any, okay, I'll, I'll be serious for a second. First off, what it comes down to is fundamentally the, the standard ground law is a little bit ridiculous as worded and it disproportionately uh, punishes black people for their actions and disproportionately favors white people. That's kind of the end of that discussion, quite frankly. Uh, but, uh, and it's, it's, I mean, you know, obviously there's more to discuss, but well, it's, I mean, yeah, like uh, on the stand your ground law alone. I mean, as it reads, it basically states that if you felt threatened in any way that it is okay for you to shoot someone and take their life, I just really don't see that as being a positive thing. And there's no way that I would feel comfortable being, I mean, I don't want to like, 
I'm gonna let you finish, Anthony, and we're, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get to what I have to say. But I want you to finish what you have to say. Oh no, I mean, I was I was just gonna say I don't know how. I mean, it, on its face, it's almost worth because you think like, oh, okay, well, he didn't get the murder conviction, but he's still supposedly gonna spend sixty years in jail. It's it's even worse that they didn't give him the murder conviction when he's already about to spend 60 years in jail because it almost leads you to believe that they sort of did it on a principle. Like, where well, they were just like, well, he's already going to spend all this time, so we shouldn't give him this conviction, too. It's like, he killed somebody. He he totally did. And the guy didn't have a gun, apparently. No gun was found. I mean, he said yeah. he thought he had a gun, but there wasn't. And it's just like... So now not now not only do you not have to be in immediate danger, you have to only think that someone has a gun possibly and if they raise their voice at you, then you get to gun them down and it's I mean that sounds like mad I, mean, it, I know it, people make the cliched comparison to the Wild West but it's it's how is it not? I mean it's it's like a duel, you know, it's like you pistols are rapiers and you take 10 paces back and it's it's, it's madness, you know? Yeah. I mean the hardest part for me is that that, that it it echoes so many other events that have happened in the past and you know the killing of of black men from officers of the law has almost become epidemic you know and if you look at the at the the statistics you know the number of men black men that have been killed by officer of the law in the past year is staggering um and you know, you think about cases where I, I believe it was in New York, and I don't I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was a gentleman who had a a, a, an, a wallet. He went to pull his wallet out of his pocket and was shot, you know, several times by several police officers who thought he was reaching for a gun. I remember that. Yeah. And and if I believe if I if I'm incorrect, you know, um, I'll, I'll apologize for it later. But I believe it was an a safety wallet like it was it wasn't even something that looked anything like a weapon and was shot and then the police officers didn't end up getting any charges fought like well they had charges filed against them but they ended up you know being uh declared not guilty for those charges right and it was you know quite obvious that they act overreacted in the situation ended up taking somebody's life without you know having any repercussions for doing so. And, you know, it would be no big deal, I guess, if this wasn't something that was happening on an occurring basis, but it, it happens all the time. And, you know, people will, will make the statement that I or any other black person who, you know, has an issue with it. Like, I really, you know, there are a lot of people who really fear for their children, fear for their sons, their black. I, I don't have any children yet, but I do. I fear for my my future sons and daughters. I fear for my nephew, my nieces. I fear for myself that it's scary to think that just because of the color of my skin, someone could be so frightened by who I am that they could decide to take my life and then get away with it. I wanted to point out the third point in this article. And this is the last one I'm going to bring up, but it's that your racist colorblind friends will often say that racism is not the issue it's classism and the natural retort to that is well is classism actually related to racism and one of the things that's being said here is that researchers have discovered that social status and relative wealth do not protect black people from racism but it's that Classism is being used as a veil for racism. 
It's it's true. I mean, when you talk about people with, within the black community and other minority communities who have who reached a certain level of success, uh, fiscally, you know, monetarily, they've they've, you know, climbed the ranks. They're no longer middle class. They're upper class. They've they've reached upper echelons where they're making more money than the average human being walking, you know, every day. Uh, money doesn't shield them from the injustices that they still feel being a minority. And you know, one of the the stories, and I hate to say it because it's 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 like you know this one person you can't really use this, but but Oprah Winfrey, you know, multi billionaire, goes to another country and face the same racism that you or I would face because the images that they see in this country are those of the ones that you talked about earlier in the podcast. You know, the black people that they see within the media are ignorant, are acting out, are doing things that are, you know, we use this word because it's, it's, it's the word of the day is ratchet. And they assume that all black people act in that manner. So even though Oprah Winfrey has reached this place in, in society where she's respected and, you know, has gained more money than just about anybody in the world, she's not protected from the same injustices and the same discrimination that you or I walking down the street would have. And, you know, let's let's not even take somebody like a, an Oprah Winfrey, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that I didn't have a pretty amazing childhood that I was afforded opportunities that a lot of my friends did not have. I was blessed. I was given a lot. I never wanted or needed for anything as a child. And some people would say that I was privileged and I don't take offense to that. Um, but my privilege has not kept me from having to face racism in my entire life. Uh, when I walk into a store, I still get followed for being a black man in the store. And I still have people who are assuming that I want to steal something and that I'm not capable of paying for it when I walk into a store. I still have white women who will clutch their purse every single time I walk past them on the street or who will look at me with a look of, of is something getting ready to happen when they find themselves in an elevator by themselves with me. And I find myself constantly having to disarm people, you know, being charming or being funny or saying something to let them know it's okay that you don't have to fear me because I'm different from you. Just because I, I grew up and I had this, this education that not everybody has or, you know, was able to see certain sects of society that not everyone has the ability to see does not change the fact that I've still been looked at as different my entire life. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's this, whether I'm talking to a wealthy black or person or someone with very little money, the story is the exact same. There's, it's, there's really no difference. I mean, in fact, you, you can make the argument that in a lot of circumstances, the richer people are more racist than, you know, than, like the wealthier people are more racist toward wealthier blacks than they are, you know, than, than poor whites would be to poor blacks per se, because at least in their struggle, they have something in common, you know, uh, and, uh, and you would think in wealth, the rich blacks and whites would have something in common too, but there's, you know, there's always that line of separation, um, and uh, and quite frankly, it's one of those things where, like, I hate to say it, but I feel like there's going to be a, like it's like a lot of old white people just have to kind of die for this whole thing to end for like for it to to stop being like that as much. But I mean, I think you just spoke honestly, Anthony, you just spoke to a, a big issue when it comes to, to wealth and and class. Right. When you talk about uh, 
wealth, you know, black people who have come into wealth, that's a relatively new concept. Like you said, you know, our history only really extends back 250 years that we know of, right? Right. Um, Or, you know, 400, 500 years, maybe, that you can trace back. Uh, Wealth in this country, you know, as black people, we we were considered second-class citizens. In some ways, we weren't even considered, we we were considered property. We didn't have wealth. You know, old money that white, like a lot of white Americans have and have, have, have amassed, you know, there are kids who are born into wealth. They never have to work a day in their life because they've, their, their family has amassed an immense amount of money over the years, right? But the average black person that's coming into wealth has had to do it within their lifetime. So there's this, there's this distinguishing between what old money is and new money, and you're never going to amount to what it means to be old money. You're still not on our level because you don't know what it means to have money for generations. Uh, and it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's, it's no matter how hard we try, we're always a step behind. I know. I think Chris Rock, I mean, I remember Chris Rock had a great joke about that, about how, you know, like when a white person gets rich, he just, they just stay rich. Like their family just stays rich for generations and for years. And then how, you know, when a black person gets rich, like he may lose it (laughs) within 10 years, you know, like it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how it happens. I mean, you see it all the time. Right. For one, if you're if you're raised in a society where you don't know, you're not taught how to deal with money or how to 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 like. And, and that's the thing is, I feel like sometimes, you know, a black person might come into money, but he's not afforded the opportunity to be in the, the good old boys club. So he's not afforded the opportunity to to figure out how to invest his money properly. You know, whereas I feel like, you know, you see these guys on Wall Street, you know, and they're 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 exchanging these conversations. Well, you know, I've been investing in this so that I can make my money grow for me in this way. But they might not be as willing to have that conversation with, let's say, you know, let's use the music industry, a, a music artist who's blown up and he's created, you know, a a certain amount of wealth through his his music. But you're not going to see somebody who's a Rockefeller having a conversation with him about how to put that money into some sort of truck, like some sort of you know stock market. Right. Oh, and, and, and it's, find it's, a way to Jeezy gets a big check, but you don't want to ask Jeezy for stock advice. Like you want to ask the guy who signs Jeezy's check for stock advice, you know, exactly. like it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. But the reality is, is like Jeezy might have just as much or more acumen for understanding those investment opportunities if Absolutely. given the opportunity. Right. Yeah. And he yeah. just exactly that. He's never been, no one ever told him what to do. I mean, it's one of those simple things. Like it's one of those things as a man, like as a man, you just have to figure most things out in life. Like no one really tells, no one tells you how to do a lot of things. You just kind of have to start doing them and hope that you don't screw up too well. You know I mean? And it's, 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 it's pretty brutal, man. And I guess that's, you know what? I think that's kind of to, to bring this whole argument full circle. That's kind of it, right? So racism or or the race that you're born into almost gives you a step up when you are afforded information that you otherwise wouldn't have because of who you are. So hundred percent. As as a white man that has wealth, you're given information that others may not have access to that allows you to to use that wealth appropriately Bro, we get we get a suite of clubhouse we get like a creepy looking skeleton key that lets us into this old mansion <laughs> it's where all white people gather to plot how we're going to annihilate every other minority it's 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 somewhere in the i'm going to say it's somewhere in saint tropez but i'm not going to say specifically where okay 
Okay. So AJ, this speaks to my personal crusade, and I'm okay. glad you brought this back around. Gotcha. As a as an affluent black person, what mm-hmm. is your responsibility to your race? Is it your responsibility after having gathered all of this information about how to become wealthy and how to stay wealthy? Is it your responsibility to spread this information? It is, man. It is. Um, you know, we talked about the the it's almost, you know, the burden of an educated black man or the burden of a of an affluent black man is to and I you know and I hate the way that people say it because it shouldn't be a burden. You shouldn't look at it as something that's 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 a difficulty. But you know, I'm blessed in that I've seen I've had people close to me show me the way that when you reach a certain level of success or you reach a certain level of, of you, know, you attain a certain level that you reach back and you help other people get there. You know, like I know that there's no way that I'd be in the position that I am right now in my life if it wasn't for the people who came before me opening doors and telling me I opened those doors. You know, I broke those doors down so you can walk through them. Now go break down some doors of your own so that other people can walk behind you. And, uh, you know, it's it's like one of the reasons why my father never left the neighborhood he grew up in, you know, being that he he reached a certain level of success. He didn't leave. He stayed there so that he could be an example for other people that this is something that you can attain. You don't have to be regulated to this this bubble that people want to put you in. Um, So, yeah, I do see it as. It's my duty to, once I succeed, once I get to the place that I see myself, I envision myself, have envisioned myself being in life, to reach back and show others the way. I mean, it's no different than Harriet Tubman showing people, you know, the way to freedom. And, you know, the quote when she says, you know, if I could have convinced more people that they were slaves, I would have been able to save more people. If they would have known they were slaves. Now, I know I just misquoted the hell out of that. Uh, but she had a really cool quote, though. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it was like she said, um, I would have, God, Chris, we're going to have to look it up because <laughs> I, I hate when I don't quote things appropriately. But the, the statement basically was that if she was able to convince more people that they were slaves, she would have freed thousands more. Actually, yeah. you're very close. It's, yeah. If I could have. If I could have convinced more slaves that they were slaves, I could have freed thousands more. Thank you. Very close. And, um, you know, it's, it's the idea that you have, to, you have to show people that there's a different way than what you see every day. I mean, Chris, like, I would love to hear how you feel about it because I know it's something that you're very passionate about. Right, and it's something that has in a way affected my career trajectory because I know that I potentially have a lot more earning power than my personal crusade has afforded me. But the fact is I want to be able to reach back to those who were like me and who really had no real exposure to what could be out there. And it's not something that's as hard as what you think it is in the classroom, but you have to have some type of practical lens through which to view it. And once you get that, you have the mental capacity, probably even greater than me, to be able to do great things. Yeah. You know so what? here's, I, I want to I ask a question as well. So, um, so yeah, we feel this, this need to reach back and to, to show, especially young black men, a different way. But do you feel, um, 
almost like you have to reach or or you have to be the one that opens up the conversation about race. Like you have to be overwhelmingly um uh what is the word I'm looking for? Almost like you have to be you I mean, there are times where I find myself having discussions of race with people, uh, uh, white people, and I have to be overwhelmingly accommodating. Like, I have to, to put on a grin and smile and, and, and let them say the things that they want to say in order to open up to conversation and be able to change maybe one perspective, one thing about the way that they think about race in order to, to, to provide some, some progress. Do you feel the need to have to do that on a regular basis? And I'm gonna give you a chance to answer that, but Anthony, I also wanna, I wanna ask you something as well. As, as a white man, do you feel a need or do you have, a, like, like Chris and I kind of have this, this feeling like we have to give back. Do you have any, any quote unquote burdens or anything that you feel you have to do as a white man? What, you mean for the white community? Exactly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I know that might sound silly to some, to no, no, some. No, no, I mean, I actually, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, like my joke response is that white people are absolutely fine without my help. You know, I mean, they don't, they don't need me to, to help them with anything. But the truth is, I mean, they're, you know, poor is poor. And at the end of the day, I mean, the black poor have it worse than the white poor. I, I won't even really deny that. But there are some really poor people in this country generally so i mean whites are obviously included in there so i mean yeah there's there's something that everyone can be doing for every community quite frankly i mean everyone's ethnicity everyone's individual ethnic group can can benefit from some boosting for sure um i don't really feel any particular burdens as a white guy because it's just i mean no one's expecting that of us you know no one no one expects us to grow up and carry the weight of our entire race like, I mean, if, if a white person kind of is born and doesn't make it and like doesn't make something of themselves, it's like, you know, it's it's kind of not the end of the world. I mean, he, oh, he's a nice guy. He never really did much with his life, but he's comfortable and he's happy and this and that. But like if a black dude doesn't make it, it there's almost a certain level of like, ah, oh, man, like that one, that could have been a, a good chance right there. That could have done something special. That could have for us, you know, for the neighborhood, for the community, fill in the blank, you know, like I feel like. <laughs> A lot of black men are unduly sort of – and it's funny because what you guys are talking about is like it, it, you've even said it. Like you've even said like, yeah, I do feel some pressure to kind of – to represent your race in a certain way. And it's like you wonder if it's because you're fighting against negative stereotypes or if you really do feel a certain level of like there's so few of us here. There are even fewer of us doing amazing things. We need to add more to this list of people doing amazing things. Like there's plenty of them, but there can always be more. And we need we, like I want to be one of those people like that's what that's what I um, what I'd see a lot of times with the people that I know. So, Anthony, I, I want to actually demonstrate something to you. And AJ, sure. I'm going to use you as the guinea pig for this. OK, OK, no well, problem. So first I want to ask, Anthony, are you a sports fan? You know what's funny? I'm going to lose every uh, ounce of dude logic cred that I've developed over the course of this podcast when I say I'm not really a sports fan. And I've, I've never been that into it. Okay. Well, I'm still going to provide this illustration for you. I'm familiar enough with sports. I know how I know most of them and how they work and, such, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you, you should be able to proceed. All right. AJ, you are an avid Atlanta sports fan, right? Correct. How do you feel when you cheer for the Falcons? You know, I mean, honestly, I feel it's a euphoria. 
He can't like, even it's, describe it. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, it's a, it's a loyalty that I can't explain. Like, you know, I, I really feel a sense of pride in my team and I have a faith and un an unwavering faith in my team that no matter what is going on, that there's a chance that my team can bring it back. He has doubted his religion more than he's doubted the Falcons' uh, ability to come back. And- <laughs> so how about when they screw things up? How do you feel? Um, disappointing, obviously, that I feel like we could do better. I feel like we're capable of more. If I mean, you know me, man. Anything short of a Super Bowl win, I feel like we didn't live up to expectations. You know, I set my my expectations very high and it's, and, you know, but it's no different than how I live my life. I set my expectations for what I should be doing in my life very high. Right. Um, I'm my biggest critic. And and I think that's that's like, that's how most people should live their lives. You should hold yourself accountable for what you do. All right. So now this is the illustration, Anthony. Yeah. When you're talking about a team that you support, think about the fact, A.J., if you look at the news and something bad happens, some crime happens, do you sit there and say, I hope he's not black, I hope he's not black, I hope he's not black? Are, are you asking me this? Do you, yeah, I'm asking you that. Every time, literally? Yeah, I mean, yes, that happens all the time. Exactly. That, I mean, it's, 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 it's unfair, but it's reality. Uh, you know, let's be real. Let's just use the example of a DC sniper. Nobody thought it was a black guy. <laughs> no one. Not a single person in America thought it was going to be a black guy. An atypical black crime. I will definitely grant you that. That's and it was when I found out that it was a black guy, I was like, damn. Like, we can't even, we, like, now we can't even say that we're not capable of doing this. See, dude, not only was he black, but he was twisted, bro. That guy was brutal. You remember yeah. how he left that note that was just like, he was like, don't pray to God. I am God. And like, he left it on a card or some creepy yeah. shit. Like that. Oh, it man. was crazy. He was off his rocker. And <laughs> it was one of those, like, no, I mean, but it, like, it's terrible. But when you hear of somebody getting, you know, carjacked or you hear of somebody getting shot in a convenience store, the first thing I'm thinking is, I really hope this is not a black guy. Chris, are you exactly. leading to confirmation bias? Is that essentially going to be kind of the... That, that's it. So right. that because we feel so invested in our communities, we're ultimately let down to the point where it's like we're cheering for a sports team when we find <laughs> out that something has been done that basically discredits what we're doing. I mean, I, I know when I was at Georgia State, we would get an email every time there was any kind of like an incident on campus, like an armed robbery or any any sort of crime that was reported to the police was sent to us in an email. And I swear to God, every single time I would open those emails, all I would say is like, please let this be a white person. Like, can we please get a, like a few white people who do this on this camp? Now, here's the thing that people forget about Georgia, too. People say a lot. People have to deal with this a lot in Atlanta because Atlanta is a majority black city. I mean, people forget that actually the, the population demographics of Atlanta are, I mean, I think it's over 60% black. So when you're going through sort of the, the kind of the crimes that happen in Atlanta, it's like, it may not be an inaccurate thing to say that most of the criminals in Atlanta are black, but that's because most of the people in Atlanta are black. Right. You know, like it's got nothing to do with any kind of criminal disposition. It's literally just a numbers game. So, like, right, in Atlanta, you're much more likely to have a crime happen and have to have that thought, like, please let this be a white, like, please don't let it, not even white, please don't let it be black, anyone else but but a black dude. And then when it is, you're just like, ah, son of a bitch, like, yeah, this is, and I, I can totally imagine how crushing that must be. But you also have to remember, 
that's not happening as much in Iowa, you know? That doesn't happen as much in, like, Saskatoon, you know, or, <laughs> or Kitchener. Like, it is, you know, it's that's it's so... Saskatchewan. You have to keep that in mind, you know? But, um, yeah, I totally feel what you're saying, man. Reality, I mean, it's, it's sad. Like, I, I find myself just hoping beyond hope, like, it, it, please don't let it be us because it's one more thing. Because I understand... Like you, we we alluded to earlier, how the media is going to portray it, you know. Um, that's that's one more one more piece of negative publicity that we have to fight against. So now I have to fight twice as hard to show that there's another side of what it means to be black than to be a criminal. Wait a minute, AJ. If you're sitting here telling me that you don't think the white media is completely fair and representative of the black community at large, you're just you're just blowing my mind over here, bro. I don't know what kind of stuff you're talking about. Hey, look, you know, it's that liberal media. <laughs> We're out here. The, the liberal media is out here making it seem like all all conservative. No, I'm just playing, man. This is not Fox News. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like reality is, yes, it's, it's, it's so many instances of black people being reported on doing something negative. And I mean... It speaks to the question that you asked earlier. Like, Anthony, yeah. yes, I definitely have a pressure in my life to not fuck up, excuse my language. Right. Because the minute that I make a mistake, every positive thing that I've done in my life is discredited in an oh. in, in, in instant. Right. Going back to Richard Sherman, you know, we talked about this on a previous episode, but right. all the things that he's done positive with his life, he has one interview where he gets irate raised his voice and now all of a sudden he's a thug dude he he made the play and was being interviewed like four seconds later what do you expect him to sound like the dude just took his team to the super bowl it's like i mean people are out of their minds man people are out of their that's the thing though there, there's i swear to god there's a certain percentage of the population that just they see a black man screaming and they uh, it's fear. Little, it's fear. Up, it's 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 fear. It's nothing more than fear. They see a black man screaming and they are fearful of it. And it's it's terrible. He didn't even do anything wrong, but the perception of him doing something wrong, the perception of him doing something wrong was strong enough that people could then make an assumption of who he was. Right. Right. They well, perceived what well, he, he was, did to be wrong. He, he and was changed his perspective. You know, I mean, what can we say? That was uh, it was pretty menacing to me. It's just like, what the fuck is the matter with you people? Listeners, our next segment is called Really Dude. And it's where we talk about something that happened in the media or just something that's happened in life in general and just say, really, dude, what was going on with that? Really, dude. Really, dude. Our first really dude is about your boy AJ. We had a conversation offline just a few minutes ago, and he mentioned that he had not prepared anything for really dude. So, really dude, AJ? You knew we were doing this. Really dude? Hey, man. Look, I got a lot going on in my life, man. You know, there's a lot of things that I have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and piggyback off of what Anthony said earlier in the show. Thank you for uh, bailing me out, sir. But Vladimir Putin, Sochi, really, dude? <laughs> really, dude? 
That's all I have to say. That's, that's it. Like, that's it. That just that's explains it. it all, huh? Sochi. Really, dude? <laughs> Southernmost tip of Russia and like near an active war zone. Yeah. Really? Let's let's be right next to a country that's that's shooting people. You know, no big deal. Uh, oh, it's it's the Winter Olympics, but we'll go to the warmest part of Russia. Let's do that. Sochi. Really, dude? <laughs> I like it. All right. Really, dude? On Valentine's night in Vancouver, Canada, the much-hyped Bangers World Tour started, and Miley Cyrus did not disappoint. She had all types of self-deprecation going on. She was humping the floor, had cat animations, frottage, and everything. Really, dude? Really, dude? She's gone from Hannah Montana to this. Really, dude? Miley starts twerking. Daddy keeps working. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys heard that? Have you guys heard the Billy Ray Cyrus Don't Break My Heart remix? The new, the new hip-hop version that's out now? Oh, I have not. Oh, man. Oh, my friends. You need to... Oh, when this podcast is over and done with, you need to check that out immediately. To everyone listening at home, if you've not seen this massive absurdity yet, uh, you know, Google Billy Ray Cyrus, Achy Breaky Heart 2014. You'll be pleasantly surprised and also pleasantly horrified, quite frankly, because it's, it's awful. Interesting. Anyway, it's got strippers in it, and they're all twerking. And there's an actually he actually says a line in the before he goes into a hook that says he's like Miley keeps twerking and Daddy keeps working. And then he then he says like he's like wrecking ball. He like drops a wrecking ball in there. Is this wait who is this really Billy Ray Cyrus? This is 100% Billy Ray Cyrus not parodying himself at all. This is literally him in a hip hop song with a random black rapper who wears a cowboy hat. Oh man, that's it's, so inappropriate. It is. It's, it's so inappropriate. It's incredible, and the song is awful. And there's strippers twerking in it, and then he makes reference to his daughter twerking, and then he says, "Well, then Daddy keeps work." He's basically confessing openly that he's exploiting his daughter for you know. Yeah, just, they've always had a very inappropriate relationship. That really, dude. Right. Really, yeah, really, dude. That's the really, dude. <laughs> yeah. really, dude. <laughs> so disgusting. Uh Guys, it's getting a little bit late out here um, in Atlanta, so I think I'm going to head to sleep in the near future. Uh, I live with my girlfriend, so we're just going to get together and engage in some good old-fashioned snuggle fucking. And uh, once we're done... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, you guys haven't... Oh, okay, wait, you guys haven't heard. Wait, I think we got the Urban Dictionary word of the day here. The Urban Dictionary Word of the Day is... The Urban Dictionary Word of the Day. For sure. <laughs> All right. You guys are unfamiliar with the, uh, with the notion of snuggle fucking? Is this a new... No, please. Please define it for us, Anthony. Okay. Okay, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. The word snuggle fuck uh, is essentially kind of a smooth or sometimes not so smooth transition from napping or cuddling into sexual or sensual foreplay followed by what can only be described as passionate sexual relations simply put it's a cuddle that turns into something more and uh it's a beautiful thing you know (laughs) wow you definitely brought something new to the table for us today this is what i'm here for guys i I just i want to I'm here to uh, I'm here to bring, you know, I'm here to elevate. 
the dude logic platform to uh to a, a new level of depravity <laughs> <laughs> you are, are you're definitely changing the definition of what constitutes urban <laughs> right exactly well my you're trailblazer friend, uh, sir you're a trailblazer my friends one gentleman and a scholar one one does what one can with what one has so and I you think, have the mouth of a sailor. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, very much so. It's now time for AJ's gripes, the time where AJ goes off about something that bothers him. So what's your gripe, AJ? AJ's gripes. AJ's gripes. AJ's gripes. Man, my gripe this week is parents who do not discipline their children. And I don't care if you're from the old school where you spank your children, if you put them in a corner, or if you take away their toys, but you need to do something to make sure that your children are behaved when they're in public. I don't mind playing with kids. Kids are kids. They're fun. You're supposed to have fun with kids. But when your child thinks fun is punching me and my family jewels and running away, and you don't have anything to say to them, don't be surprised if next time I take the parenting into my own hands. Parents who do not discipline your children, you are the people I have a gripe with. That's AJ's gripes for this week. AJ's gripes. AJ's gripes. AJ's gripes. I, w- I really want to thank you guys for the opportunity to come on here and chat with you. This has been an absolute blast. It's uh, probably way too long. Who knows if anyone's going to want to listen to it, but it has, it's, it's been a, a real pleasure chatting with you, fellas. Loving being part of the Dude Logic uh, legacy now that will live on in perpetuity on the internet. So, so my, my sort of, uh, you know, my kind of revealing to the world of snuggle fucking is going to be, this may be what I'm remembered for most in my life. When you run for president 20 years from now. This audio clip is going to be pulled out of uh, the depths of the internet. And they're going to be like, well, he was a huge proponent of snuggle fucking. We don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Would never win in Arkansas. Oh my god! You know the funniest part about that is that accent. Like the way you said that, it's exactly the way some politician is going to say it. Right. It's from now. Exactly. Even though it's yeah, totally. Oh my god! Oh. All right, man. I think we're all tired. We all we are all loopy at this point in this conversation. <laughs> so, all right. So let's, let's just, wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap this one up. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to broadcast to the listeners, Anthony? Oh, no, no, you know, I'm just, uh, I had a blast talking to you guys, man. If you guys want to, um, you know, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Anthony Arasi. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give away my full last name rare because it's, uh, there's no other choice. If you want to hear my music, some of the stuff I've worked on over the years, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Anthony Arasi mixing all one word, which is the name of my company that I do music with. So, um, and and Anthony, I gotta, I gotta throw a shameless plug out there. What's the name of the song that you most recently, uh, debuted your vocal talents on oh that's yeah cool i appreciate you mentioning that man that's yeah. my uh my friend Camby carlson did a uh a, a rap he did a song called nine to five and there's a video of it and it's uh it's pretty cool man i was able i got to sing some vocals on the hook so if you guys are in the internet world um get on there and search Camby carlson 925 the number's 925 and you'll find an interesting video uh where your, your boy anthony's on the vocals you know on the hook and Canby has an interesting spelling. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit it's a bit much. So it's K A N B E E I 
and then Carlson is K-A-R-L-S-O-N. You can just search, literally, you can just search the numbers nine to five, and I think it'll come up. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot. He Yo, is, you should definitely check it out, man. It's a good track. Anthony does a great job. He smashes it. And, uh, you know, I, I knew what the name of the song was, but I wanted to give him a chance to, to shout his own work out. It was, it was impressive, man. Oh, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you kindly for it. And yeah, I mean, beyond that, that's, that's about it. I'm always on the internet causing trouble and lurking around. So you can find me there. As always, you can find me on Twitter at AJ's Meltdown, A-J-S-M-E-L-T-D-O-W-N. Same thing for my blog, AJ'sMeltdown.com. And you can find me on Instagram at AJ underscore the underscore trainer. All right, you can find me on Twitter at CG Skeezy. And the blog is www.thelifeandtimesofthemind.com. And for the podcast, we are at www.dudelogicpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at DudeLogicPod. That's at DudeLogicPod. On Instagram at DudeLogicPod. Facebook is www.facebook.com slash dude logic pod or you can email us please send in your comments your requests anything that you have even hate mail for anthony if you so please <laughs> oh it's coming <laughs> i mean i'm eagerly anticipating <laughs> all right for anthony and aj i'm chris signing off see ya it's just a